pretty much we're at a countdown now, right? 16 days, 16 more days until you get all your shopping done. Right? No more saying it's, oh, it's only October, right? I still got a couple months. Or it's only Thanksgiving. I still have another month. Right? I think, I feel like we're at crunch time. That's what I think. It's crunch time now. So if you haven't bought your, your spouse or your significant other or your, um, your mother, uh, that you're gonna, uh, you thought I was going to say pastor, right? Um, if you haven't bought your mother a present, now is the time. This week, next week, get it done because you don't want to settle at the end, right? And like just run out to the store a day before and have to scramble. I think... Uh, to me, a big part of Christmas and the fun of Christmas is, is the gift-giving and the exchanging gifts and the element of surprise in, in gift-giving. Not knowing what you're, going to, what you're going to give or what you're going to get from other people. And uh, I think that's changed over time. So now in our house, it's not really that way. Uh, the kids today, they have very very detailed wish lists, <laughs> very detailed. Like, so it doesn't just say what they want. It says, here's the model number. Here's, here's the UPC, right? Here's the product code. <laughs> here's the retailer that you get it from. And so God forbid you try to ever be creative in your gift giving, right? Because uh, there's just no surprises, no surprises anymore. Um, but back in the day, Right, that's, that's old people's talk. For <laughs> Back in the day, right, on Christmas, you could receive something really cool. You could get uh, a bike uh, or a game or, or a book that you really wanted. Or you could get something that was just, eh, you know, like socks. You know, like if you knew it was, if it was soft in the wrapper, you knew it was probably not going to be something very good because it's socks or a bathrobe, or the dreaded underwear, or something like that, right? And different, different from the gift-giving, okay, different from the gift-giving, with this theme of Christmas unwrapped, we, we really, I think, want to demystify Christmas in a way. Okay? Not, to take away, not to take away the joy and the excitement uh, and the spirit of Christmas, but to bring light to the events around Jesus' birth and to have the true meaning of Christmas not be a surprise, not be a mystery to people, but to be understood, to be embraced, and to be celebrated. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Joseph. Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus, a key character in the Christmas story, but probably one of the more overlooked individuals. And we'll look at decisions that he had to make, how he fulfilled God's plan, and what we learn about calling and direction from him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Luke. We'll start in Luke chapter 2. And I'll read verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius 
was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and he gave birth to her firstborn, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, reflect on Joseph this morning, we pray that you would, uh, you would speak to us and you would bring out your, your thoughts, your words, your heart, Lord, for what you have for us today. We pray that the word would come alive to us because your word is alive and active and sharp. And Lord, I pray that it would uh, minister to us where we're at and that you would uh, receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start with the familiar story of how Joseph and Mary ended up in a stable in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. We learn that they went to Bethlehem because, one, there was a census being taken by the Roman government, and two, because Joseph belonged, it says, to the house and line of David. So Joseph was central. He was primary to the reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy uh, by the prophet Micah 700 years earlier that the Messiah would be born in this little, out-of-the-way, insignificant town of Bethlehem. But who was Joseph, and how did he come to occupy such an important position in God's plan? The truth is, is that the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph, I think you can scan um, the pages of Scripture and you will find that there's not a whole lot. We don't know how he grew up, like his upbringing. We don't know much about his family. We don't know about his later life. There are only a few passages, and they're here in the beginning of, and they're in the beginning of Matthew, that really focus on Joseph. But what we'll see in these passages is a man who responds faithfully to God's call upon his life. And therefore, God is able to use him in his plan of salvation and in the birth of his son, Jesus, and his life. So, if you would now turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to look at these three passages. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So this first passage in Matthew 1, I I call it Joseph Act 1. Okay, this passage begins by saying, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Meaning, this is how it all got started. The Christmas story begins with Joseph standing at a crossroads. He's at a crossroads trying to decide whether to divorce Mary or whether to take her as his wife. This decision that Joseph makes would ultimately drive the Christmas story, and it would shape Jesus' early life. Listen to Joseph's words. These are the words of Joseph as he recounts his decision in this fictional monologue. A short time later, Mary came to me and explained that she was pregnant. She told me all that the angel Gabriel had said to her, that her child was supernaturally conceived and destined to become the king of Israel. It was quite a story, believe me. Please understand, in our culture, even engaged couples could never be alone together. There was no dating as there is today. You guys got that? There's no dating? (laughs) And only a few short chaperoned conversations during the engagement. I didn't know how she got pregnant, but I knew that it didn't involve me. I was devastated by the news and felt the anger and betrayal any man would feel. I had every right to bring her before the priests and charge her with adultery, a crime punishable by death. But I loved her, so I suggested we get quietly divorced. It was the only way our relationship could be ended, and it would save her the public disgrace which she would otherwise have to endure. Then she might be able to go away and live a quiet life. It was the most painful conversation I ever had. But one night, the angel of the Lord appeared to me in a dream, confirming all that Jesus, uh, excuse me, all that Mary had said. And based on that dream, I went to her, told her I loved her, would not leave her, that I would take her as my wife and raise her child as my own, and I would give him the name Jesus. In this passage in Matthew, then, in verse 22, it says, All this took place to, ful- to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then we look at Matthew chapter 2. So that was Act 1. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Now read that here. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared in Joseph to a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So after Jesus was born, 
we see that the angel again, he appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that King Herod is looking for his baby. He's looking for Jesus in order to kill him. So Joseph, act two in your outline, right, involves another big decision. Escape to Egypt or stay in Bethlehem. Now, there, there is a decision to be made here. It's, it's not a slam dunk. It's, it's not a no-brainer. It's not like Joseph is a machine. He is flesh and blood. He is a, a regular guy. When you think about it, this decision's put before him. He must be exhausted. They have just traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary has just had the baby. They have baby Jesus. All of them, all of them must be exhausted. He has to consider how Mary and Jesus are doing. And then he has to consider the risks to having them travel another three or 400 miles to Egypt. And to go to Egypt and to try and settle in another country, another place, another culture where they, where they don't know anyone. But we see in Scripture, it says Joseph got up. He gets up in the night. He takes the child and his mother, and they leave for Egypt. Then in verse 15, it says, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, last passage about Joseph. Joseph, Act 3. This is Matthew 2, 19 through 23. And these are all pictures we get of Joseph and, and, and the kind of person that he is. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet, the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Herod has died, and for a third time, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And I'm thinking, wow, Joseph, either he must sleep a lot. <laughs> Or he must, he must really sleep deeply, you know, to have these dreams. He, he regularly has these dreams. And the angel instructs him to now turn around and return to Israel. It doesn't say how long they've been in Egypt. But he is to turn and go back to Israel right now that Herod is dead. So the decision in Joseph Act 3 is whether to return to Israel or remain where they are. And once again, we see that Joseph, he immediately obeys the word of the Lord. He turns and he goes. And he doesn't go back to Bethlehem because Herod's son is ruling there, Archelaus. So he goes back to where they're originally from, in Nazareth. And then for um, the third time, Scripture notes that Joseph's actions results in the fulfillment of of the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. So thank God that Joseph responds faithfully. We see these three passages. He responds faithfully to the angel's instruction 
It's hard to imagine, isn't it, what the Christmas story would look like, how it would have unfolded if Joseph made different decisions, if he, if he didn't stay with Mary, if he didn't take them to Egypt to avoid Herod. In a way, Joseph, he reminds me, as I was preparing this message, he reminds me of Esther. Uh, do you know Esther from the Old Testament? Esther, one of the great heroines from the Bible, from the Old Testament, who at the risk of her life went before the king of Persia, King Xerxes, to save the Jewish people from complete annihilation. As a young Jewish woman, Esther became queen of the Persian Empire and was put in a position of influence and told to go to the king. Now, you don't go to the king asking the king for things, right? The king tells you what to do. The king commands what needs to be done. And so you take your life into your hands if you go to the king with a request asking the king to do something, right? So reluctantly, it says, she went to the king and she asked for his favor and for him to do something. And she saved the whole Jewish race. And so if you, if you ever have time to read this, this, this story, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great story in the Old Testament in the book of Esther. In Esther 4.14, it says she was placed in her position for such a time as this. In similar fashion, I think Joseph, he was placed here in history by the Lord for such a time as this. We might say that he was called to this place. He was called to this position. I think sometimes we wonder, what is our calling? What has God given us to do? What difference will we make in our lives here on earth? I'd like to go over three principles then that I see from the life of Joseph. Three principles about God's calling. Things that we might consider for ourselves. First, calling begins by doing the things we know. Sometimes when we think about calling from God, we think of this big audible voice or this burning bush, and we think of, we think of somebody being called to do something spectacular. And this happens. We see it happens with Moses, right? Moses is called from the burning bush by God to go and free the Israelites. We see that Paul, who was Saul on the road to Damascus, is struck by God, by Jesus, with a blinding light on the road to Damascus. And he is told to stop persecuting the church and to go and preach the, the gospel to the Gentiles. I believe God, in a minute, in a flash, on a dime, he can call us to crazy, incredible things. He has that power and ability. He still does, I believe, do that. He can do that. But I think what we often fail to recognize when we think of calling is that God's calling for us as individuals, it begins by doing the things we've already been told, the things we've already learned. In Matthew 119, 
back to Joseph Act 1, right? We read that Joseph, it says, was faithful to the law. Another translation, the RSV says, he was a righteous man. It also says that he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. This says to me that Joseph, he was already trying to do what he believed God wanted him to do. He was trying to live a God-fearing, God-honoring life and of compassion toward other people. Long before he faced this big decision about what to do about Mary and her pregnancy, Joseph had been called to be faithful to God's word. And it's the same for us. This is where our calling from God begins. In the book called, that's the title of the book, by Mark Laberton. Mark Laberton is the president of Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. He distinguishes first things from next things. He says first things are those things that we are called to that are already revealed in Scripture and in the life of Jesus. These are things we as Christians should normally do. These are things we don't need, we shouldn't need, special instruction from God to do. These are matters of character, uh, matters of character and faith, of obedience, of priorities and values. Let me give you some of these things I think of for first things. Like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and loving your neighbor as yourself, from Matthew 22. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, as Jesus says, from Matthew 6. Not loving the things of the world, spoken about in 1 John chapter 2. Rejoicing always and praying without ceasing, from 1 Thessalonians 5. And acting justly and loving mercy from Micah 6. These are some examples of first things. Uh, Mark Laberton, then, the author, he refers to next things as specific things that God may call us to. Specific things in particular contexts, like work or ministry or relationship or marriage or life or service to God. These are things I think that we usually think of when we think of calling. We think of next things, these big things, these big shifts and change about what my long-time purpose or my big purpose in life is. But listen to what Laberton says. He says, next things are not first things, nor vice versa. What matters is to be fully clear that the call to first things is primary In Scripture, God is far more passionate about first things, how we live our lives, how we love him, and how we love our neighbors, than he is about next things. Yet the temptation is to make the next things first things. This is a classic tangle and fails to give full weight to what really matters most. So we go to work and we forget or we neglect who we are, who we're called to be, 
what our life is really about, how we, sh- how we should seek to love and serve. We enter the subculture in which we live, and soon that begins to define and shape us rather than the other way around. So this first point here is that before trying to discern God's special calling for your life, start by doing the things you already know. Second is that calling begins where we are. As we're introduced to Joseph here in Matthew, we don't see someone bursting onto the scene like, uh, like Superman, right? Which is usually what we envision when somebody is called by God. This big entrance, kind of this grand stage. Okay, instead, we see an ordinary guy in Joseph at a crossroads in life. In fact, when we first come upon Joseph, he has no idea. Get this, he has no idea how special and how unique his situation is. That he would be the earthly father to the Son of God. That people like us would be reading about him every Christmas time for the last 2,000 years. Right? He's not... He doesn't understand those things. He just knows that he has some big decisions to make. God's call in Joseph's life is to respond faithfully right where he's at. It's the same for us again. We are to obey the Lord in the context in which we live. As unspectacular as that may seem at times. What does God want for you today? What does he want for you to do today at home with your families or at work or at school with your friends, in your neighborhood, out among strangers, or as you come and as you serve in the church? And this includes, maybe for a lot of the, for you young guys, young people, it includes being faithful when we're online, when we're on social media, when we're in chat rooms, right? when we have this other type of presence. God's call upon our lives begins by putting Christ first wherever, wherever we are. When Jesus first called his disciples, right, what were they doing? They were fishing in the boat or they were mending their nets, or they were sitting behind the tax collector's table. And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And wherever they were, they got up, and they followed him. Now, Jesus, he pulled these men, if we know the Gospels, he pulled these men out of their, their context, their original context, as fishermen, as tax collectors. He pulled them out. And that may not be the case, right, for, for all of us. He has pulled me out of banking. He's pulled me out of banking into the pastorate, right? That, I find, is, well, it's been totally unusual for me, <laughs> totally crazy. Um, and that may be the case for you, a, a big switch like that. But that may not always be the case, okay? But regardless 
what I want to emphasize is that the call of Jesus is to follow him. That always remains. As Christians, following Jesus is what we are to be about. And when I say following Jesus, then there's like the actual change of things. Um, I think that even in the context of your life, in your regular life, following Jesus means, Lord, what do you want me to do here? How should I be? I think we always think sometimes of taking risks and doing something different. And I think we, offer the, we should offer those things to the Lord. And even within our regular context, it may be, should I reach out to this person that I never talked to? Right? Should I go the extra mile to care for this uh, family that, that I know? Uh, like something you wouldn't normally do. Okay? But that's in your context. I believe those things are following Jesus into those relationships, into what he's given you to do. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, one thing I found especially interesting in the second point was that Joseph, he trusted the Lord in such a way that he obeyed God even when it went against his own judgment. For example, in Matthew 1, before the angel appeared, I think Joseph had already made up his mind to divorce Mary. Verse 19 says, if you look in your Bible, it says, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Of course, right? That makes sense. That would be the cleanest thing. Just pull out, Joseph, right? Just get out of the situation. And yet after God spoke to him, as we see in that passage, Joseph was willing to change his mind. He was willing to cede his position. He, he was willing to do what required more boldness, to take the harder route. And I think there's a lesson here that teachability, flexibility, a willingness to yield to the Holy Spirit are necessary traits to follow God's call for our lives. If we truly want God to direct us and for his hand to be upon our lives to move us and to direct us, we need to be willing to change our plans. Lastly, calling is lived out daily. It's lived out daily. It's not a one-time decision one big decision which takes us where we want to go. Of course, there will be big decisions in all of our lives, and especially, again, for you young people whose decisions, those, a lot of those decisions are ahead of you. Decisions like, where will you live? What school will you choose? What job will you take? Who are your friends? Who are those that you're going to hang out with? Who will you marry? All of these things will have a profound impact on your life and your future. And that's why we need to bathe those decisions. We need to immerse those decisions in prayer, in getting wise counsel, and lining them up against God's word. But often it's a series of daily decisions 
daily decisions which lead us to his place of calling or away from it. They say the journey of a thousand miles begins, what, with, with one step. It takes us in a direction. Joseph, I think, when we look again at what little we see about Joseph, he nails it. He nails it in these three passages because in each, each case, he listens to God and he obeys immediately. In Matthew 1, right, he's instructed by the angel of the Lord to take Mary as his wife and name his son Jesus. And in spite of his fears, he does exactly that. In Matthew 2, he's instructed to take the child and Mary and flee to Egypt. And despite the obvious hardships, he does that as well. At the end of Matthew 2, he's instructed to return to Israel. And again, he listens and he obeys. Joseph is like us. He's like us. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't have a big roadmap. God doesn't tell him all of these things in Matthew 1 and 2. He doesn't tell him that up front. But he learns to be faithful one step at a time. He learns to be faithful from point A to point B. On Sunday mornings, we have an adult Sunday school class that's been meeting faithfully, and they're going through a curriculum called Experiencing God. And I think uh, what I remember of Experiencing God, one of the key principles is in Abraham's life. It's being faithful to God's leading one step at a time. See, if I had a map, it would show we want to know point A to point B to point C, D, E, F, We want to know how it's all going to unfold and lay out. But that's usually not how God works. He doesn't give us that roadmap. He's asking us to be faithful from point A to point B, and then point A to point B, and point A to point B. It's one step at a time. I think God's calling in one's life is something then that materializes over time. It's a process that happens with walking, by walking with God daily. In which we grow in understanding. We grow in understanding of who God is and his character and his nature and his heart. And then we also grow in understanding what he's put on our hearts. What he's gifted us to do. That's a process that happens, I think, over time. And in this process, I think the call again is to actively, it's not a passive thing. It's not just, okay, I just do what I've done every day, all the days since I became a Christian. It is to seek God and to actively follow Jesus in where he's put you. I referred to this verse earlier in Micah 6.8. The prophet Micah, he answers the question, what should one do? To please the Lord. And he responds by saying, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is where we start. 
So just to wrap it up, right, prior to and after Jesus' birth, we get a picture of Joseph and his heart for, for God. We see that he is called to love, to lead, and to protect Mary and the baby Jesus. That in spite of all the fears and hardships he encountered, he did what the Lord commanded him to do, which in turn enabled the Christmas story and enabled God to carry out his plan of salvation through Jesus. We learn that God's call for each of us, it begins by doing what we know right where we are on a daily basis. And I believe in that process, God will mold us and he will shape us and he will shape us and connect that to his purposes and to his will and his direction and his calling in life. So Christmas, right, that's, that's what we're talking about. Christmas, Christmas is a calling to give ourselves to Jesus. It's not to follow the crowd, celebrate the season, and merely join in the shopping and the revelry and the partying. Okay? It's, but it's to understand the Christmas story and to receive and celebrate and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we pray, um, we come before you, Lord, and we ask um, that you would accept our earnest prayers and our hearts to follow you. Um, Lord, I recognize that it is so hard sometimes to, to do what your word says and to follow you. We see it, that it was hard for Joseph. It was troubling. And I know that um, it's troubling and difficult for some of us, Lord, but we ask that you would see our, our hearts and our earnestness and sincerity to follow you and that you would help us, um, help us to see you this Christmas, help us to uh, receive you and to celebrate you and to worship you. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.